0: Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message.
1: We have <clears throat> we have three scripture readings this morning from Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Jeremiah. if this will work uh, Leviticus 23 15 16 and 22 you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord and when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap your field right up to its edge nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner i am the lord your god deuteronomy 16 9 through 12. you shall count seven weeks begin to count the seven weeks from the time The sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes." Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34 "'Behold, the days are coming,' declares the Lord, "'when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, "'not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand "'to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they brought to bring them out of the land of Egypt, Black, the grass withers and the flower fades.
0: Good morning. Uh, if you have ever heard a Jewish worship leader lead a reading or a prayer or a blessing, you might hear them chant it. Uh, the the chanting of, uh, of of these Jewish recitations. Uh, goes back to the time of Ezra, Ezra the priest, when he uh, brought the people back from captivity uh, to, uh, back to Jerusalem and reinstituted the reading of the Torah and, and the blessings. reinstituted the reading of the Torah and, and the blessings and, and the, the reading of, of all scripture. He, uh, he started to chant it. For a way to for everyone to become familiar again with it, and uh, over time it has uh, it has evolved into something that uh, will they'll use to uh, to put punctuation and vowels and and it's it's really complex and to my ears it's beautiful but I can't I can't hear it. In a way that makes it that, that it's that it's common. It doesn't sound common to me. There's not a common a common tune. But the Shema has a common tune. The Shema is is required twice daily as you recite it. And so, as we uh, as we do the Shema this morning, I'll uh, do the tune. Uh, for the first verse, because I, I don't have uh, the chutzpah to, to do the chanting for all the other three verses. But um, it'll go like this. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Baruch Shem Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.
2: All right. Okay, so uh, Elevate Kids, if you would like to head out, you can. I will say EGC, you're going to be in K. Uh, So you're gonna be with with us in here. Elevate, you'll be back in the back. Um, And uh, Travis, you're inspiring me to learn how to pronounce Hebrew. I could tell you story after, I took took Hebrew in college, and uh, I could tell you a lot of stories, um, but I'm not gonna. Um, This morning, If you're wondering, if you're new here and you're wondering what's all this about, did I come to the wrong church? No. Uh, This morning we're going to continue our series through Leviticus 23. Uh, All the cool kids, the uh, how to grow your church really fast, they suggested Leviticus for the summer series, and so we were like, cool. That's a joke. So we're going through these seven feasts and holy days of convocation, Leviticus 23. And I. this has been really, really fascinating and interesting for me, um, and worshipful. It's connecting dots to see uh, a, a whole lot, to see not only the Hebrew scriptures explode, but also what Jesus did and how he fulfilled this, just like take on totally new life, uh, which has been great. And uh, I hope this week is, is no different. It hasn't been for me. It's been really, really cool. So we started with... The first week we did, anybody remember? Sh- very good. Shabbat. Yeah, Sabbath. We did the first, the first declaration of the uh, Holy Day of Convocation in, in Leviticus 23 is Shabbat, a weekly reminder of recreation, practicing uh, God's rest. And then following the, the, following, uh, the Shabbat, uh, the first of what would be our calendar year would be in the fall, but this is also how Leviticus lays it out, would be the Passover. Um, the Passover is the f- uh, practicing and remembering God's deliverance out of Egypt uh, and the Seder meal and the promises that God uh, has in there. And then the day following, the first Sabbath after the Passover, everybody got that? So three days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, after the Passover, uh, is the beginning of the Feast of Firstfruits that we talked about last week, where you would bring the barley harvest before the priest, he would wave the sheaf before God, and if that offering was acceptable, um, then uh, you would begin to count the Omer, 50 days of counting the Omer in anticipation of what we will celebrate this week, Uh, but... Um, If you remember what we talked about last week, and this will come back again, God gives the command to bring their first fruits before him before they have a land to harvest. So when God gives a command, there is a promise inherent with that. And I think that's critical. When he says, bring your first fruits of the harvest before me, A listening ear should have gone, okay, but we don't have a land to harvest. And then the promise would be like, that's right. And you will. I am faithful to do all that I have promised to do. Um, And so what we saw is that Christ is the perfect offering of our behalf. The, The first day after the first Sabbath after Passover was also the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Our perfect first fruit offering. Um, and so there's a command within that promise of the resurrection. You live the resurrection life even now with the promise and the guarantee. We say, well, wait a minute though. Why should I give up all of this if I don't know for sure that I will have a resurrection life? And Jesus assures us, just like God did in the Old Testament, you will. I will give you life. So live this now. Um, all right, the counting of the Omer is the path then that leads us up to this week's celebration called Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks. Shavuot literally means weeks in Hebrew or the Feast of Pentecost, which means 50. Um, and there's a lot of different elements to this day of holy convocation and, and they're all really, really good. So, um, so with that, uh, let me kind of get into some, some, uh, the, our, our opening uh, illustration here. I've been really excited about this one. This past Friday, it wasn't a national holiday, uh, but it was a holiday celebrated among some people, uh, especially one in particular uh, person. Uh, It's uh, July 1st. This is not a holiday that is perpetuated by Hallmark. Uh, This is a holiday rather that is been uh, given to us by the New York Mets. Um, It is a day known as, anybody know? See that? Don't tell me we don't have sports fans in our church. Not even a Lord of the Rings reference. You guys nailed it. All right. Bobby Bonilla Day. Every year on July 1st, baseball, that's the beginning of their their new fiscal year, baseball teams that have promised performance contracts or deferred contracts or whatever, those promises have to hit the bank accounts of those players on January 1st. And every year on July 1st, Since 2011, Bobby Bonilla, who last played baseball in 2001 as a St. Louis Cardinal, every year since 2011, he gets a check for nearly $1.2 million on January 1st. July, whatever. Thank you, guys. July 1st. Now, you may be thinking, well, how did that happen? It's a great question. Leave it to the Mets. The Mets. Uh, the Mets first they they first traded for Bobby Bonilla and they gave him like the richest contract in baseball in uh, the early 90s for 29.5 million over five years now it's like 29 million a year but back then that's what it was they then offloaded him after three years to the Marlins where he went and won a World Series the Marlins like they do after they win a World Series they had a fire sale that's my Arrested Development quote right there um, and uh, they got rid of Bobby Bonilla and his salary and sent him back to New York. The last year that he played for the Mets was 1999, and he, had a fi- he was due $5.9 million, and the Mets released him, which means they would rather pay his salary and, and not have him play for them. Um, but the New York Mets' ownership were in line to make double-digit figures on this really big investment deal that they had with this guy by the name of Bernie Madoff. And uh, yes, and so they were gonna defer his contract, paying his $5.9 million, because they thought they were about to make big money. So they offered Benia an option. We're gonna delay till 2011, we'll give you 8% interest, and instead of paying 5900000 million, we'll pay it out over 25 years. Benia wisely agreed. That investment opportunity did not turn out so well for the New York Mets. I'll leave you to Google the name Barry made off if you don't know that. Um, But starting in 2011, the Mets were on the hook. That 5.9 million, 8% till 2011, became 29 million. And now the Mets have to pay him a little over $1.19 million every July 1st Until the year 2035, when Bobby Bonilla will fulfill his contract with the Mets at the ripe age of 72, (laughs) just in time for retirement. Here comes the Jesus juke. You think that contract was a good deal. Wait till you hear about the covenant that God makes with his people. All right. I have been so excited. Let's just pray and go home. I've been so excited to like do, have that. Some things, it's like they're inspired. All right. So as we talk about this, let's talk real quickly about the history that gets us to this point. And you might say, well, why do we need to talk about the history of how we get to the point of the covenant? Well, I think we need to talk about the history. I think Moses thought we needed to talk about the history as well because we tend to, or I'll confess I tend to, face every day as if this is the first time God's existed and I have faced a trial of any kind. Is anybody else like that? Like the day exists in a vacuum and my first response is, I don't know. Can I really trust God? And sometimes I need to begin with history because I need to remember That's right, God has been faithful in my life over the last 40 years and then going back thousands of years with the people of Israel. We have a faithful God today does not exist in a vacuum and so it's important that we start with history. Every time Moses, when he gets to Deuteronomy, the, our primary passage we're going to use today is from Jeremiah to help explain this. Jeremiah, in his day, they uncovered the scroll of Deuteronomy, and Jeremiah is reading this and going, okay, here's this, and here's our nation right now. Uh, no, we need to remember some of these things. Moses is faithful all throughout De- uh, Deuteronomy, especially, and throughout his sermons there, to remember what God has done and how God has delivered us to this point. How can I trust God for tomorrow? I can remember what he's already done. And so he says, with almost every command, remember that once we were slaves in Egypt and the Lord delivered us. God delivered us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He demonstrated his power, his faithfulness, and his love so we can trust him, we can obey him, we can follow his commands, we can celebrate him, we can remember and recall his faithfulness. So this feast, the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, um, has dual connotations that really kind of tie together well uh, with, the, with the third element of this in the New Testament that comes about uh, with the Holy Spirit. And that just kind of blows up the whole thing. And it's, I think it's really, really beautiful. Um, so our outline this morning as we walk through this, this, this uh, Holy Convocation, we're going to look at the covenant made. The covenant celebrated, and then the covenant exploded. All right? Exploded in a good way. All right. Covenant made. I want to read from Jeremiah 31, and that's going to kind of help us outline here. Jeremiah says this. Again, remember, he has recovered the scroll to, uh, of Deuteronomy, and they're reading this. And Jeremiah, the prophet that got on everybody's nerves, but just amazingly faithful, is reading this to the people of God. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Um, we'll do that, and then we'll do the second half later. So uh, I, That's the part I forgot to tell you. All right, the initial meaning of this feast um, this is the culmination of the counting of the Omer. And this, if you noticed in, in, uh, in Leviticus, it's the bringing of the new grain. The second grain to reach harvest uh, in that time. Uh, the first grain was barley. The second grain was wheat. So here again, just like last week, God's command is for his people to bring the second first fruit offering of the harvest. The offering of wheat. Which again is interesting because this command comes with a promise, because they do not have a land, when God gives this command initially, they do not have a land from which to harvest wheat. So it comes with the promise of the land. Um, This feast not only commemorates and celebrates the grain harvest, but it also celebrates what took place 50 days, seven Sabbaths, uh, 50 days after God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt. Here again, the word Pentecost literally means 50 days. And so what happened? God brought his people out of Egypt. He brought, brought them through the wilderness and to the base of Mount Sinai. What God wants to do at Mount Sinai is meet with his people as a whole. And so he tells them, prepare yourself. Purify yourself. And then meet me on the mountain. And the people are like, okay. And then God descends on the mountain with fire and smoke and clouds. And they're like, huh i don 't think so, and they all take a step back and encourage Moses to go on up by the mountain by himself. The original design was for God to meet with all of his people they don 't want to do that, they are scared of God, and so they have Moses go up and It is here that God gives Moses the law, the Torah, the Ten Commandments is there as they're squeezed together, the Shema that we quote every week, the summary of the law that Jesus himself uses, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It is here, meeting on Mount Sinai, that God gives Moses the law. And essentially what happens here is God makes his people a people. He constitutes them as a people. He promises them a land. He makes them a nation. And this is a lot like what we celebrate this weekend. The anniversary of the Constitution. Except, instead of a declaration of independence, this is the people of God's covenant of dependence. Very much so dependence. Now, we touch on this often because I think it's critical for us to understand God's gift of uh, the law. I saw a, a, a comment the other day where somebody, just like a hot take and trying to kind of uh, stir up whatever, that somebody said that the Ten Commandments um, are no longer, uh, they no longer matter. They're no longer relevant. Um, and I want to tell you, my belief is that this is a gross misunderstanding of the law. Uh, I think it's just as much of a misunderstanding of the law as saying we should have the Ten Commandments as the the rule of this land. It's also a misunderstanding of the law to say the Ten Commandments are no longer relevant. And I think it's because we have a modern-day view of the law instead of what an ancient covenant of the law is. When God meets with Moses to give him the commands and the gift of the Torah, this not only constitutes them as as a people, but this is essentially, this is a marriage ceremony. This is a vow that God himself makes with his people. I God take you Israel to be my bride. The feast of weeks is it's an anniversary celebration of the giving of the Torah. I will be your God and you will be my people. He becomes their husband. So here's the deal. This is where we often get into misunderstanding. The law is not simply this list of arbitrary rules of what we should do and what we should not do. The law is God revealing to us who he is. This is the way I designed the world to be. This is how I designed it to work. And this is how I designed you to work in it. This is what it looks like to be my people. This is what it is to be my people. This is an agreement that God will hold up, this is what it is for me to be your God, I will be faithful, I will protect you, I will give you a land, and this is what it is for you to be my people, you trust me, you listen to me, you follow me, this is your end of the covenant. Um, Now, for Israel, it was a matter of having to live up to these laws, which they could not and did not do. There is hope, though, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But please know that the giving of the law in the Old Testament is not something to dismiss and go, eh, that was then. Um, it's not something for us uh, as followers of Jesus to think about in burdened ways. This is a way that God has made himself known. Every other religion, and we could, I, we could go on this for an hour, every other religion, god's, the gods simply demanded loyalty. Do what I say. Here, God actually demands a relationship. Love me. That's totally unique. You will be, I am, make, I am covenanting with you, and you will be my people. This is a love relationship. Um, we've, we talk about this often. The story of God and man should have ended in Genesis 3. That's when we broke the first covenant, right? I'll do it my way. I will do what I want. God could have ended it right there and said, okay, this is your decision to break the covenant. I'm going to grant that to you. But instead, God comes back. He forms and fashions the people. And Mount Sinai, though we often look at it as terrifying, Mount Sinai is actually God coming back, replaying Genesis 3 and saying, I'm not done with you. I still love you. This is not over. I am going to make you a people. Um... And so, uh, we celebrate God giving us the Torah, and we celebrate that he is, in fact, faithful. As it says in Exodus 19, that all that God has said, he will do. So, if we hear this in the first, in the first uh, uh, Levitical uh, revelation here, okay, so wait a minute, you're telling us to give us your first gr- uh, our first fruits of wheat, but we don't have land yet. And God says, that's right and you will. Because I am faithful. These are the things that we celebrate when we celebrate God giving us the law. Okay? Is that a general understanding? Some of this gets complex and I can get lost in my own words, so I hope this makes sense. We good. All right. So then this is how this is celebrated, which I think this is pretty cool. Um, It's celebrated in a few ways. Uh, I put, uh, I think we have the video uploaded. Tracy, where's Tracy? She's, Shout. the video's uploaded, uh, where I did an interview with my friend uh, Rory, and uh, she is uh, Orthodox, and they, they go through and they celebrate all of these um, festivals and uh, feasts on a regular basis, and so she kind of gives some of the customs, uh, it's on the app, it's on our YouTube page if you want to watch it, uh, and, and I think there's a breakdown of when, what time we talk about each of the, of the celebrations, and I think this one is interesting, uh, I think they're all interesting. I'll leave that to you if you want to watch that. Um, But this being the feast for the wheat grains, uh, one of the things that is common is that each household or each uh, person would prepare or bring a challah, challah. Travis and Amy were so gracious to make some out here, right? That is leavened bread, very much leavened and sweetened, and it is delicious. And so as part of the wheat offering, you would make bread which is pretty cool. So that's part of the feasting uh, of the celebration. And uh, do we have a recipe for that? Maybe we can find one and get on the app. And then uh, if you want to make those with your GCs or in your households, uh, be blessed to do that. And it's delicious. Make it as part of a Shabbat meal. Um, Then uh, the book of Ruth. It was common for them to read the book of Ruth. If you've ever read or heard the book of Ruth, the primary apex of that story takes place during the wheat harvest. Uh, where Ruth goes out to Boaz. That's on the threshing floor. That is the wheat harvest. And so it's common to read the entire book of Ruth during Shavuot. And then for some reason, which I'm not too certain why, uh, it might be because there's there's a restriction against eating meat, but not against dairy. So apparently dairy is a pretty big deal on Shavuot. But don't think like, so what, you drink milk? No, 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 no. Ice cream cheesecake cream cheese danishes I don't know if like cheese pizza is part of it in the interview Rory talks about that this that the eating of dairy like it was it was and it's a late night thing which I'll get into in a second that that was when she kinda felt this first desire and call toward rabbinic studies and I and I joked that as a as a Gentile Protestant is similar it was during like the late night pizza um, in youth group that I would feel this calling toward uh, ministry. We translate a lot, right? Um, So, this is the one that I think is cool. Um, The cool part, a unique part of the celebration of Shavuot is the staying up through the watches of the night. In ancient Israel, the night was broken down into three watches. You had from sundown to midnight. You would have from midnight till 3 a.m. and then 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And on Shavuot, The goal would be to stay up through the watches of the night all Friday night, and you would talk about and discuss the Torah, the law. You would talk about various applications. You would talk about whatever while enjoying some ice cream, cheesecake, cream cheese, that type of stuff, and good bread, right? That's what you did. Now, I can get into two different places here. I can see people going, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard, ever. Like, you're talking about you stay up all night and talk about the Bible. Um, I can see see that. But also, I can also see this as, like, the coolest once-a-year party ever, all right? So go here with me for just a minute. If we, like, did a lock-in up here at the church where everybody shows up at sundown, we have, like, pints and pints of ice cream, gallons, nay, (laughs) gallons of ice cream and cheesecake and cream cheese pastries. And somebody comes up and reads from a portion of scripture. And then like we hang out and talk, not argue, but talk, talk about its applications and what it means and what's going on in our lives and how this works and where we've seen this and all it. like, I mean, I think this could be like a super cool follow-up to the resurrection party, <laughs> and 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 we can add some special beverages. We're 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 Gentiles. Um, we can add we can add some other stuff to it. I I think it'd be a lot of fun. All right, and I see Kayla's not here this morning, so I don't have anybody to tell to get on that. Somebody volunteer, and we'll put it together for next year. The other parts of the celebration uh, commanded. Um, is that if, if you if you remember saying up here, is that God's people are to be a generous people. Because what we're being conformed to is the image of a generous God. Even in scripture, even in Hebrew scriptures, we tend to go, God was angry. No, no, no. God invited all the people to come and meet him. He is not angry, he is good and generous. And one of the commands embedded with this and, and most of the celebrations is a reminder for God's people to be a generous people. It is here that Israel's commanded in their harvest, when they harvest their land, not to harvest the edges of their land so that, people who are, so that the poor, the outsider, the marginalized, the orphan, the widow, Ruth, could come and they could glean from the outsides of the field and they could take some of the barley and some of the wheat uh, from the ground and so that they could eat as well. Um, this is something unique to the people of God was this command, both constantly, uh, historically throughout the Hebrew scriptures, they were commanded to care for the culturally weak. Here's what you need to know. That is not a natural thing. That is not pagan in any way. It's not Roman, it's not Greek, it's not any of these other nations. It was the strong that rise and the weak, it's tough luck. It's a value that was found distinctly in ancient Israel amongst all the peoples and it was spread throughout the world with the spread of Christianity taking this. I've said this a couple times, and this is just really quickly. Uh, I want to say this. Um, it is a head spinner to me when Christians argue against this. It literally does not make sense to me. And I don't know what angers me more. When an atheist humanist claims that atheism came up with this, that this is just basically what humans should do, That's not historically accurate in any way, shape, or form. And I don't know if that frustrates me more or Christians who argue against it. This is part of what it means to be a follower of God. Be generous, give. And a part of this celebration and many of the other celebrations that we'll go through is the reminder of God's people to be generous, to do acts of charity. I would encourage you maybe specifically this week or maybe just making this a practice more and more. That's probably even better. Find creative ways to be generous, especially to the most vulnerable. Um, fill up someone's gas tank. That's daring. Uh, it was only 422 in Springfield, by the way, yesterday. It was like they're giving it away. Uh, <laughs> buy some extra food on a shopping trip. Gather extra gloves and hats during the cold months. Pay for somebody's meal. Um, uh, I will share this, and this is just uh, but find ways to, to care for people in need. Um, as I share that, I also want to share this. I thought this would be a good idea. Like, I got a bunch of small gift cards, and I, would, and I started giving them out. Um, when it, specifically, specifically when it comes to people who are homeless, this is just something to be aware of, and I've had many conversations that have backed this up. There's a lot of homeless people that don't know how to use a gift card. So it sounds like a good idea, just fill your pockets with gift cards, you can give them out, and a, there's a lot of homeless people that just don't, they've never had to do that, so they don't know how to use a gift card. Um, they'll sell it, or they'll throw it in the trash, or something else. Just be aware of that, so you can give cash. And, and listen, be free from figuring out where they may spend that cash. That's not the call. Um, Uh, or or buy him a meal, or begin a conversation with him, take him to a restaurant, or QT, or wherever else, and buy a meal for him, and just say blessings. Uh, The command for charity and generosity is particular in this celebration with God's people. As God has provided, this is in the Psalms, uh, that God is ever giving generously, and his children become a blessing. This is part of it. When we celebrate God's provision, we are to grow into bearing his image, which means we are to be a generous people as our God is a generous God. And, and here, I'm, let me make another qualification here. There's a knock against Christians being generous and how much other people are, are out giving Christians. That is not true. Go look at how many uh, crisis pregnancy centers, go look at how many food banks, go look at how many hospitals, All of these things that were started to care for the poor and the outside and the marginalized, Christians are at the root of most of those. Immigration, 65% of immigration uh, agencies are Christian-based. So, I take legitimate uh, critiques on Christianity. Uh, That's not one. But we are commanded to be generous. Finally, all right, finally, when the covenant gets exploded. Let me get back to the Jeremiah text. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And No longer shall each one reach, uh, teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Last week, we talked about the celebration of the first fruits, uh, the day following the first Sabbath after Passover, uh, and that was the day, that was the day that Christ rose from the grave, the first fruits of many who would be raised, fifty days following the resurrection of Jesus, after the appearances of Jesus resurrected to the disciples and to the crowds uh, and to many, many people. Um, 50 days following that in Acts chapter two, the disciples were gathered together and they were praying. Perhaps they were staying up late into the night talking about the Torah and what they had just witnessed and how all of this fit together and what was going on. Many people were gathered, Jews from every nation were gathered in Jerusalem that day And you know what they were doing? They were celebrating the Feast of Weeks. They were celebrating Pentecost, the local celebration in Jerusalem. All of these people were together in one place to celebrate Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, and once again, the author of history enters the scene and explodes the meaning. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity descends in the form of Tongues as of fire and rests over the heads of the disciples. The day of Pentecost in the New Testament is the day that God wrote the Torah on our hearts, that He wrote the law on our hearts. No longer was this a list of external rules that we were to have to live up to to gain acceptance but it became an internal desire to follow uh, as we seek joyfully to please our good and gracious God. The completed work of Jesus does not eliminate the Torah. It does not render the Torah uh, unuseful. He fulfills the law. So it doesn't mean just trust Jesus and do whatever you want. It actually means your wanter, your chooser, is getting adjusted, it's getting fixed, it's getting reoriented, as the great poet William Cooper put it, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child, and duty into choice. The work of the Holy Spirit is within us, working to destroy the kingdom of the flesh, the kingdom that seeks our own personal pleasure, our own our wants, me as king. It destroys the kingdoms of earthly powers and culture wars and the kingdom of me and it works in us to build the kingdom of God both in and through me and then collectively us, the church, his people. The Holy Spirit points our, points our hearts to the completed work of Jesus and moves us to respond accordingly in thought, in behavior, in awe, and wonder, in lament, in praise, and grief, and on and on and on and on and on. A word here that I think is helpful. It's a, it's a big word and we often just use it for finances but I think it's good for everything. Stewardship. It's what we talk about every week. The Holy Spirit moves in us to see, to see ourselves as stewards of all that God has given us. All that we are is from him. Um, this is life in the spirit. When you hear people say we need to, we need to live by the power of the spirit That's what this is. What do we do once we know who we are? Life in the power of the Spirit is not like a dare to be great thing on a motivational cat poster. It It is a labor toward faithfulness, conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus. The law is no longer held against us, but the law is now written on our hearts and does guide and prompt us and how we are to love God and love neighbor. So, in wrapping it up here, I want to wrap it up and hopefully give this, because this can get complicated. Um, I don't know if anybody else gets confused by what is the role of the Holy Spirit. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Good. I hope to not confuse you more. But I want, in, in giving you an assignment for this week, I hope to make this more real. Okay. Um, we had a discussion earlier this week on uh, what is the role of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't fully know what the Holy Spirit does, like, does that hinder your walk with Jesus? Or can you be a full-fledged Christian if you don't fully know what the Holy Spirit does? And let me say, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. All right? I don't believe that this... this. Um, This negates us being a follower of Jesus. I grew up Southern Baptist, and Southern Baptist, the Holy Spirit was a weird uncle that we acknowledged but didn't quite know what he did, and we would pray for healing and freaked out if it actually happened. So, I believe you can operate in holiness and faithfulness without fully knowing and understanding what the Holy Spirit does. However, if I were to ask you, how many Volkswagens did you see on the road this weekend? What would your response be? I don't know, right? Why? Because you weren't thinking about it. You weren't paying attention. What's the first thing you're going to do when you drive out of the parking lot today? You're going to start looking for Volkswagens. You're going to hear from the back seat, Mom, look, there's one. And Mom's going to go, what are you talking about? And then Mom's going to go, you were paying attention. And then Mom's going to call Pastor Trey guess what? And then Pastor Terry is going to freak out. All right. They were paying attention. Okay. Yes, it can be confusing to know what the role of the Holy Spirit is. This week, I want you to be on the lookout for that. I want you to notice the Volkswagen in your heart. Don't, if anybody tweets that, I'm denying all of it. All right. All right. I want to give you some ways to think about this. Don't be too critical here. Be generous in this application of the Holy Spirit in our heart, okay? Every time you feel conviction over a harsh word, a neglect, a lustful thought, a quick overreaction, the conviction is the Holy Spirit desiring you to repent, seek forgiveness. When you feel a depth of grief, that sees the brokenness of this world that you can't fix. And you think, God, why don't you fix these things? And it causes you to go before Jesus to heal. Broken relationships, hurts, sickness, death, poverty. When I see ambulances driving past, or when you see an accident on the side of the road, or last night we were even sitting in our backyard and saw a a medical helicopter fly over, and my heart is moved, Christ have mercy. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you take in the beauty, a deep sense of awe and that, that just that, when your stomach just drops out of awe and gratitude toward God, feelings that you can't quite put into words. The sunset, did anybody see the sunset last night? I've never seen anything like it. We were driving down 70, clouds, rain, and this bright glowing red ball coming out of the east. It was amazing. I mean, we've had beautiful sunsets and beautiful sunrises. The, you know, the, uh, Nuclear waste makes for beautiful sunrises around here. But it, it was just amazing. And you feel that sense of awe and smallness. Um, when you see a relationship restored, when you celebrate with a friend or you, or you enjoy a good meal, when you take in the beauty of art and music and you feel a gratitude in your soul toward God who made things beautiful, that's the, of the, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you read scripture, when you pray, when you feel conviction or awe or understanding or gratitude or empathy, the truth that starts to seep into your heart and your mind of all that God has done and all that God is and what that means now about you, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The goal of the Holy Spirit prompts our mind's attention and our heart's affection back to our creator in gratitude, in awe, in wonder, in crying out, in in lament or grief. To both trust God and love neighbor. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us that we no longer stand before God, condemned by the law, that we don't stand before him in fear, but he reminds us that we stand before God as, our, as his beloved children. So this week, when you think these things, when you feel these things, which should happen often, right? I mean, these are every day, every moment of the day type of things. I want you to notice the Volkswagen. I want you to be aware. I want you to acknowledge this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what you can do. Say thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for interpreting God's word to me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me eyes to see these situations. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being at work. You can say, I see you. You can say, ah, okay. Okay. You are at work in me. I'm not alone. Take comfort, give thanks, and praise to Jesus that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. This is the celebration. God has written his law on our hearts, and we are his people. And that is worth celebrating. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you have made Jesus known among us and to us. Sometimes we get that. Sometimes we get frustrated. But you have not left us alone. You were at work transforming our minds and our hearts to know you and trust you more and more and more. And writing this on our hearts, the law does not condemn us. The law guides us. It reminds us that you have made yourself known. It reminds us that you have promised resurrection. And so when you ask us to bring our first fruits, we're not bringing them to an unknown God. We are bringing them to a God who has been faithful, who promised the land and then delivered, and who's promised resurrection and then will deliver. So we have confidence. So make this known in our hearts this morning as we feast and as we celebrate and as we remember As we spend time together with others and friends and neighbors, even this afternoon, may gratitude run deep in our souls as the Holy Spirit continues to work in our minds and hearts. May we acknowledge him. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church.
1: For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.